You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church. My name is Stephen Jones, and I serve on staff here with our NextGen team. And this morning, I'll be reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, yeah, Stephen. Got a fan club over here. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Oh, good. This is a good precedent because I like it when you talk back to me. Do you need to know that? Just give you permission right now. This is not a TED Talk. This is a sermon with God's Word amongst God's people. I'm okay if you react to God's Word because you should. All right? There we go. You've had your coffee. You're here. The nine needed a pep talk. So, hey, if you go ahead and open your Bible to Proverbs 30. As you're turning there, welcome and thank you for joining us this morning at The Village. My name is Mason King. I am one of the elders here. Uh, My wife and I took our kids to family camp this last week and I lost count how many times I went down water slides, zip lines, and ropes courses because that's what you do when you go to family camp, right? And also, I'm going to go ahead and schedule that chiropractic appointment because I'm not eight. Uh, I hope you're having a good summer. So Proverbs 30, what we're going to do is I'm going to walk us through the first six verses, and then we'll get to our passage for today. You ready? Yes. Yes. Guys, we talked about this. That was your chance. Okay, here we go. This is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs in general. Oftentimes you might think they're awkward or weird, and you're like, well, why do I need this little pithy saying? How do I directly apply this to my life? What I've found is... Proverbs are full of wisdom, and when you sow them into the soil of your heart, they come about situationally and contextually, and it kind of unlocks for you. It turns, and you go, oh, that's it. Okay. So hide God's word in your heart. Read the Proverbs, and let the Spirit apply it in due season. So here's Proverbs 30. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God and worn out. Anyone weary and worn out this morning? Yeah, you're giggling, but you're raising your hand. Just tired from running too hard and too fast. When was the last time you were truly still? Like, let yourself be still and not feel guilty for not producing something. Verse 2, surely... I am too stupid to be a man. It's in the Bible. I have, not underst- I have not understanding of a man. You ever feel like you just can't get it right? Again, I'm, these are softballs, guys. Like, you could, you could hit these. Um, there are things in life that I felt like now at midlife, I would be over with. I'd be better than. I'd be farther along. But I keep repeating similar destructive patterns. Anybody? Yeah, all across the room. So there we go. Okay, good. You're with me now. You're warmed up. Okay, just took a little bit. You're with me. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Think about your friends, your people. Are you the wisest among your friends? 
It's a trick question. <laughs> if you say yes, you need new friends. Does your understanding of God shape how you talk to yourself? Or is your learning about God just facts? He created life and gifted it to us. Are you willing to accept the life God has designed? Verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. What is man compared to God? Like, can you wrap all the waters in a garment? Can you hold the wind in your fists? Surely this sounds like Job when he just goes, I, I, you know, I, just, I think on second thought, upon recollection, I feel like I've spoken about things that I surely don't know. And in verse 5, he says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, God's, true, God's word is true because it's from God and about God. When we trust God's word, we walk in his wisdom, and he is a refuge or a safe place to us. And God not only wants to talk to us through the Bible, but he wants to bless us with his wisdom for daily life. Verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Also, that's how the end of the Bible ends. Don't add to these things. See, God's word is complete. Peter tells us that everything we need for life and godliness has been given and made known to us by our maker and through the Son. God's word about himself and his creation, which, surprise, involves you as a creature, doesn't need us to add to it or make it relevant. Don't you say that again? God's word does not need us to add to it or to try and make it relevant. You see, cultures will move. Cultures will disintegrate. And cultures will be rebuilt, but the wisdom of God does not change. So, do you remember reading about King Solomon? It's in the Old Testament, book of 1 Kings. You might have... No? Okay. Guys, I'm trying to have fun with you this morning. First, you've read about Solomon. God comes to him in a dream and he asks him, he says, hey, what do you want? Just ask, which is a pretty sweet gig, right? What do you want? Just ask. What does he ask for? Wisdom. Yeah. Uh, God gave Solomon a blank check. And Solomon asked for a discerning, God-listening heart to know the difference between good and evil in order to lead well. He asked for wisdom. What can I give you? Now, this very same question appears in the mouth of Jesus across all four Gospels where he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? The prayer of my heart, I, I want wisdom, Lord. How else will I know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong in this life? I want a God-listening heart because I'm tired of listening to myself. It's verse 1, Proverbs 30. I am weary, O oh God. I am weary, O oh God, and worn out. Is anyone else worn out from listening to yourself? Tired of being the loudest voice in your own life? How's it going? Okay. Yeah, lousy. 
Our world has traded the pursuit of wisdom for access to information. Okay? Our world has traded the pursuit of wisdom for access to information. The internet in your pocket has paved this pragmatic foundation of wisdom upon self, not upon faith in our creator God. Anyone ever had the friend at dinner who you say something like, no, I don't know about that. Fact check. They're like, actually, it was 1972. And you're like, what? Can we just have a conversation? Access to information does not equal character transformation. Facts are just facts. Access to information does not equal character transformation. Wisdom is the application of discernment to circumstances in pursuit of the good and beautiful life with God. So I'll tell you, when we are met with the gap between who we want to be and who we actually are, the wisdom of the world tells us to change our belief in God to serve our desires rather, rather than discipline our desires to serve who God is. Tells us to change who we believe God is so our desires make sense instead of disciplining our desires so we worship God rightly. Our embrace of worldly wisdom reinforces our inability to discern godly wisdom. We need to actively pursue a God-listening heart, ordering our lives according to God's reality. That's why the writer of Proverbs is saying what many of us will only say after we've made a mess of things. God alone is wise. His word is true. See, we take refuge in God by anchoring life not in our reason, our feelings, our experiences, or our desires. We find the life we're looking for by anchoring our lives in God's wisdom. So looking at his life, the writer prays to God. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. So just for context here, he's not on his deathbed asking for absolution. This is not a last minute plea for pardon. He's actually saying, God, as long as I live, please help me become a certain type of person that I would walk in your wisdom. Help me continually submit all of life to your good design. Now, the fact that he's asking for God to do this in him shows a humility, shows a self-awareness, and it's this fruit of dependence upon the Lord. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'm just going to be honest with you today, friends. I struggle to be dependent. Anyone else? Yeah. Like, I don't like asking other people for help. Like, some of you may have thrown your back out or earned a hernia and not asking for help. Because you're like, no, I've got this. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, you should have just asked for help. Why are you so proud? We don't want to be needy. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be dependent. Struggling to depend on others is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Trusting ourselves actually closes us off to any provision from any hand except for our own. And the writer of Proverbs models for us opening himself up gladly and asking for help. He's in dependence upon his creator, trusting he knows what's best and gives what's best. So two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Now, I, uh, math is hard, so I understand if you read this and you're like, hey, uh, that feels like three things. <laughs> right? 
Like I'm counting, I went to A&M and I was a comm major because science and math are hard, but I was reading it going, okay, that's three things, not two. Let's keep going. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So think of it like this, if you'll permit me to paraphrase it. Lord, two things I ask of you. As long as I live, please just give me what I need. Because either riches or poverty could lead me into falsehood or lying. Feed me with the food I need for life with you. If I get wealth, I might trust too much in what I have and think I don't need you. If poverty, I might believe you were no help and take matters into my own hands. Either way, I dishonor you. And I desperately don't want to do that right now. It seems there's this sweet spot right in the middle, right? Like if you're reading the text, there's poverty, and then I got to stay in the box, and there's tiny stop, wealth. And there's this little space right in the middle that you want, the space of contentment. Anybody want to be content? Yeah, oh yeah. Here's the thing is that you're saying, feed me with the food I need for life with you. This notion of contentment for some of us might carry some baggage with it, so let me unpack it for you. This is not God's way of saying to you, you get what you get, don't throw a fit. Okay? This is not your creator and your God's uh, desire for you. His desire for contentment is that sweet spot right between, man, I was hungry and now I'm full and, oh, I've eaten too much. It's that feeling of a perfect free throw. It's delight in provision. That's different than feeling like, well, God, just give me something. I don't like it. I like what he has. I've got to be okay with this. Like, it's fine. I should just grin and bear it because that's what God wants of me. That's not the God of the Bible, friends. The God of the Bible is for your joy. He knows your greatest need. He knows your wiring. He knows your frame. And he knows what you need is delight in him. And there are things that you think you need that really will bring death to you. And he's saying, trust my provision. This godly contentment. Like God's not trying to serve you raw vegetables when you want steak. It's not what he's doing. You ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He's a good father. So this prayer in Proverbs and a passage in Hebrews have been significant for me as I've wrestled with desire, delight, and discontent. This is Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. So truth is, like, you don't have to possess money to chase what it promises, right? You don't have to be wealthy to long for what the promise of money brings. Paul says in 1 Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The rich and poor, there are rich and poor in love with money because they trust money to bring autonomy, security, and pleasure because that's what it promises to provide. So in my free time, I've been reading about enlightenment philosophy, you know, as you do, and I'm fascinated by the scope and speed of cultural change over the last 500 years. We've gone from living as God's creatures in God's world to treating God as an idea to give or take based on which of our desires feel most authentic. We've moved from believing in the unseen realm to allowing faith as long as it doesn't impose itself on the culture. 
And now we've come to an age that treats belief in God not as our creator, but as a pet or a therapeutic aid to take care of the dissonance you feel when you choose to live outside of God's design for you. Our age denies the existence of things not seen, felt, or experienced, yet our age seeks to see, feel, and experience things beyond daily life all the time. What do we do in a world that denies it has a creator, but longs for what the creator provides? What do you do? So, okay, King, what does this have to do with the prayer in Proverbs? I thought we were just talking about contentment. This prayer is asking for wisdom to find delight in God's design for life. It's an honest look at the temptations that wealth and poverty bring, and it's a prayer to be delivered from evil. It's a request for delight in God's provision to accept his design of life, the limits of our humanity, and to pursue wisdom. It's to let God's perspective on what really matters bring us delight with what we have and to deliver us from the temptation that money will cure what ails us. These two passages, Proverbs and Hebrews, stick together for me. So much like I don't like being dependent, I struggle to be content with what I have. Anyone else? So recently, I thought it was a safe space, I've learned, but I shared my love of vintage SUVs on Instagram. If we're friends, you know this. I, I have a strong affinity and belief in the beauty, the truth, and the goodness of classic Land Cruisers, Defenders, and Jeeps. I think they're great. And if you think that's crazy, you can learn. They're beautiful um, and bring a lot of joy to your life. And so I just began to share these on social media with friends. And they like rate them, and it was fun to see who liked what and what people's tastes are. And then a week or two later, I, uh, wouldn't you know it, I found myself really discontent with my Honda. Uh, we were in the living room, and Carly's like, hey, what are you doing over there? Because she knows I'm not usually on Facebook, and I was on Facebook, and I was like, nothing? Oh, I was searching Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> she goes out of town for a few days, and I send her a text that says, hear me out. I could sell my car, get an older car, and have enough money to buy this toy. What do you think? Tell me when you get back in town. And I was ready, because I was discontent. But you know what? Um, take that temptation towards discontent, that want of an ideal at the expense of the real, and then plug into an algorithm on your phone. Um, this spring, I've been reading and rereading this book that's fascinating, and the title is one that, man, if you read it in the airport, you'd be like, give me that book. Ready for the title? On Consumer Culture, Identity, the Church, and the Rhetorics of Delight. Yeah, you wouldn't even find it in the library. You'd just walk by. Um, but here's some thoughts from that book because I can't get over this topic. Here's what the author says. It says, Western prosperity depends on the relentless persuasion of citizens to shop. Consumer economies can't grow and develop unless individuals have the confidence and the means to consume constantly. For that to happen, people must also be convinced that shopping is necessary for self-understanding and self-expression. Consumers use brands to produce an identity via purchase, display, and use. Our branded selves can then be consumed by others as a mark of who we perceive ourselves to be and which social groups we wish to belong to. 
To accomplish this, consumer culture manufactures desires that only commodities can satisfy. Frugality and contentment aren't virtues within consumer society. Personal dissatisfaction, therefore, isn't a byproduct of consumerism, but the very essence of it. A contented public would be the ruin of Western economies. The rhetoric of the market must therefore undermine people's self-satisfaction in order to ensure that they'll continue to consume. Billions of dollars are spent on consumer behavior research to find new methods for convincing people that they've yet to find true happiness and that they have needs yet unmet. Consumer research is, if you will, the means for ensuring that people remain restless and marketing persuasive. How do you feel? Yes, one more. The happiness we pursue is associated less with the gratification of needs than with the rising volume and intensity of desire. New needs need new commodities. New commodities need new needs and desires. The advent of consumerism predicates the era of inbuilt obsolescence. You know what that is? It's when my iPhone 3GS slowed down to a crawl because the iPhone 4 just came out. It predicates that the design of things to become unusable. So you have to buy something else. For goods offered on the market, and it signals a spectacular rise in the waste disposal industry. See, the manufacturing of these desires is the work of marketing and advertising. As we have seen already, the volume and intensity of desire are sustained by relentlessly reminding people of the goal to which they can direct those desires. A market-derived good life. Life can be just a little better with a new purchase. A new car, dress, pair of shoes, or gadget. Marketers conjure wishful fantasies for people to live out through self-identities that are increasingly liberated from reality. Uh, Our oldest daughter, Piper, is in the audience today. She loves getting the mail. And when we got home Friday night... Uh, she came in, we were sorting through the mail, and she's like, Dad, what's this? And I looked, and it was a flyer, an advertisement in the mail. You remember those? Yeah? Okay. If you look at your mail these days, like, there's flyers. And I was like, huh, that's funny. That's an advertisement for a device that I sent a link about to Carly a week ago on Instagram. And that advertisement's sitting in our kitchen now. How are we to guard our delight in God's provision when the economy of our world is bent on actively persuading us to be discontent with what we have? Like, how do I believe the actual good life is what God provides and not what I can provide myself? We need to think about our desires and our delights. I've said this before, but consumerism and the attention economy gains entry into your life by promising to relieve burdens and feed desires. We escape discomfort by buying something, sharing something, or simply embracing distraction as a pastime. And you and I construct identities based on what we buy and who values what we value. This is why we have logos on our clothes. It's why we have logos on our coffee cups and our shoes. It's why when you were a kid, it mattered what kind of sunglasses or shoes you wore based on what your friends had because you wanted to be in with people. And friends, that game doesn't change as you get older. There is always something pulling at your desires. We live in an age that praises minimalism and storage units. 
Oh, you don't have any? We live in an age that praises minimalism and storage units, but we can't find delight in either. Not true delight. So can we be candid with each other? Like, I feel the disconnect inside. Do you feel it? We're invited to life in Christ to abide in God's wisdom and provision for us now and in the hereafter. Like you were invited into the truest thing in the world and we hand our desires and our money to things that promise a simpler life but can't add any depth. By comparative standards to the majority of the world, you and I are very wealthy. You might think, well, no, have you seen my Honda? No, you and I are very wealthy. And we are in danger of forgetting God. With all we can add to our lives, the comforts, conveniences, and necessities that we can buy, we are in danger of relying more on our bank accounts than our maker. And the strange thing is that even as the rest of the world would look at us and call us wealthy, we live, we, you and I live with a scarcity mindset that we'll never have enough. That we need the next thing. And I've got to think this is more about the love of money than the fact you want some new Jordans. That you need a new pair of sneakers or this or that. Christ says we can't serve two masters. We'll hate one and love the other. We'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Like you can't serve God and money. So I talk about the scope and the speed of uh, cultural change over the last 500 years. And we've read about the impact of uh, marketing and advertising, like targeted marketing and advertising over the last hundred years. And I brought these up because both of these realities have significant formational implications on how you see God and how you see yourself. Mark, the author of that book, said, frugality and contentment aren't virtues within consumer society. Personal dissatisfaction, therefore, isn't a byproduct of consumerism, but the very essence of it. Like, how exhausting is that? Do you know that, that wheel of, like, desire, purchase, enjoyment, enjoyment fades, dissatisfaction? Do you know that wheel? And then we go on to the next thing. Let me say it a different way. Earnestly desiring something you don't have, therefore isn't a byproduct of consumerism, but the very essence of it. What's another biblical word for earnestly desiring something you don't have? Coveting. Uh-oh. Jesus told his disciples, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You'll also know it as the 10th commandment that God gave Israel, right? And it's not just about your neighbor's ox or his wife. It's about your heart posture with what God has provided for you. God has given you what, he, what you need, be it a lot or a little. You and I will look around in comparison or we can look up in gratitude. Only one brings delight and contentment. So do I think the market economy is terrible? No. If you're in business and advertising and sales, I think you're great. I think there's a way to do this where you respect people, all right? Is it morally wrong to want to provide good gifts for your loved ones? Not at all. 
Is having wealth or being in poverty a sign of God's favor or the lack thereof? No. Do you and I need to pay attention to our delights? Every stinking hour. Every day. Our desires are in danger of being manipulated for someone else's profit, and we are in danger of being tempted to try and serve two masters. And that's a losing thing. So earlier I paraphrased our passage. Lord, two things I ask of you. As long as I live, please just give me what I need because either riches or poverty could lead me into falsehood or lying. Feed me with the food I need for life with you. If I get wealth, I might trust too much in what I have and think I don't need you. If poverty, I might believe you are no help and take matters into my own hands. Either way, I dishonor you and I desperately don't want to do that. So I've got two encouragements for you. And you're like, oh, good, encouragement. Um, two encouragements for you as we pursue God's wisdom and pursue, God's, pursue delight in God's wisdom. The first is embrace your humanity. We, when we deny our humanity, we deny that we are creatures who have a creator. You're like, well, what do you mean embrace your humanity? Uh, like you and I are creatures who are born, have to learn things, grow old, and die. Happy holiday weekend. (laughs) We can't escape that reality however hard we covet the power to do that. Like you can't provide yourself enough autonomy, security, or pleasure to escape being human. You just can't. When we deny our humanity, we long to live in an ideal state rather than the one we're in today. This is when we get hit with the temptation to covet something other than what we have. And so in her book, 10 Words to Live By, author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkins says that coveting can look like grumbling against God's provision by idealizing the past, comparing the present, or living in the future. Did you ever think about that? Like nostalgia might actually be coveting. Like you could... Remember your 20-year-old athletic prowess where you'd have to warm up for 45 minutes just not to hurt yourself and think those were the good old days. You're actually coveting a younger you. You could covet the, uh, the freedom of singleness compared to the obligations and responsibility of marriage and parenthood. You could covet financial stability at a future time so you just work all of your life bent towards gaining that future day and you miss the day you're in. The limits of our humanity are a gift of dependence because our humanity teaches us that all is grace. Coveting gains us nothing but living in falsehood and lying to ourselves and others about who God is. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who I picture at this point as a mix between Ray Orland and Jeremiah Johnson, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you need to watch Jeremiah Johnson. So this is the writer of Ecclesiastes to me. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Like, work hard at what you have and enjoy the life God gives. And trust God to know what you need. Ask him to keep you from temptation and deliver you from evil. So we embrace our humanity and we anchor our lives in God's wisdom. Paul tells Timothy, he says, 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Hey, just for a second, like use your imaginations and think about the person that you come across who just has food and clothing and they're happy as a clam. Got them? How light of heart would they be? They're just kind of floating along. Like you would think that's an act, that's not real. Surely they need something. Like contentment with God's provision for what they have and what they need. It might seem like an act, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible to delight in what God gives. Here's Hebrews 13 again. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now the love of money, coveting, comparison, all of it, all of it, tempts us to anchor life in our opinion, feelings, desires, and experiences. It provokes discontentment and it snuffs out gratitude because either we have enough stuff and so we forget that we need God or we long for more so badly we accuse God of not caring. So how do we find delight with God's provision? Like how do you and I anchor our lives in gratitude for what we have instead of chasing what we think we need? What is the food that is needful for us? How do we find delight in God's provision in a world that targets our desires to provoke discontentment? We feast on Jesus. What is the food needful for us? Jesus. He says, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Christian, Christ is yours forever. Forever. If the Lord is your helper, what can man do to you? What do you really need? Honestly, like be honest. What do you really need that would bring you more delight than what you have in the image of the invisible God who has united you to himself? What will bring you more lasting delight and joy and contentment and peace than Christ alone? But Christian, take heart because he is yours. Irrevocably, eternally yours. I tell you, so many of us fail to delight in Jesus like this, but sheesh, we open those prime boxes like it's Christmas Day every day. Stuff shows up and you're like, oh, I wonder what it is. And you open it and you're like, oh, surprise. You're like, you ordered that yesterday. Not even yesterday, this morning at nine o'clock. Why are you surprised? So how do we keep perspective on what really matters? We remind ourselves of the story we're living in and we delight ourselves in what the good life really is. And that's why we're here each Sunday because we wanna be reminded of dependence upon our creator, that we are creatures with needs and our needs have been provided for. So I encourage you to feed your delight in God's word and starve the discontent of consumerism. Feast on Jesus and starve discontentment brought about by consumerism. Maybe you get home and you Google how to turn off your iPhone and then put it in a drawer for a while. I want you to take a second just as we close and consider the overall attitude of your heart the last few days.
It's the overall nature of your thoughts. Where are you grumbling about what God has given you? Where do you think you know better than your maker? Where are you tempted to provide for yourself instead of trusting God to provide for you? I think if we're honest, if we talk with each other and look through this, I think we understand when we're delighting in a lesser love, right? Like we get it. We think, man, I really know I'm built for this, but this I can get right now, it's attainable. So let me just delight in this, even though it's not everything I know it should be. That's why, we, that's why we give ourselves to things that will not delight eternally, but will delight for the next 28 minutes. Are you delighting in the right things? Friend, God is not just good for you, but good to you, and he's kind. He can be trusted. And what he wants for you, what he wants for you is your earnest delight. He's made it available for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know more about Jesus and why life with him is better than anything we can provide for ourselves, now is the time to ask. We believe that God has provided not just for our material needs, but for our greatest need that he would take our hearts that were born with, sick with sin, and he would give us new, healthy hearts because of the person and work of Jesus. If you want to place your faith in Christ today or even just to learn more about Jesus or share your faith publicly by being baptized, after I'm done praying, there'll be men and women back here who would love the chance to talk with you about your next step in life with Christ. If you please pray with me. Lord, as long as we live, please just give us what we need. Because either riches or poverty could lead us into falsehood or lying. Please feed us with the food we need for life with you. God, help us to embrace our humanity and anchor our lives in your wisdom and not our own. Help us be free of the cynicism, discontent, and doubt of this age. May we delight in Christ with increasing joy. And may he be the greatest treasure of our lives. Amen.